Let's just read the scripture that we're in. It's from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And Jesus is speaking and he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it, is, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray before we get into it. Thank you, Lord, that we have this tremendous privilege to meet together on this nice and wet Sunday morning. I want to thank you, Lord, for your provision and your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you, Lord, for the rain. I want to thank you, Lord, that that you look out for us and, and you have a plan for us. I want to thank you, Lord, that in all things you work for the good of those who love you. So thank you that today we get to read your word, learn from it, put it in our hearts and live it in our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give a short recap because I think uh, if you missed last week, it's, it's a pretty important one. It's just going to take a minute. Um, but a quick recap is, is after Jesus was speaking on the Beatitudes, which we know quite well, he said, now you are the salt of the earth. And he said, so you're going to be the mourners. You're going to be the ones who's persecuted. People aren't going to like you very much. Amen. Um, this is the good stuff. This is the richness of the Bible. This is the stuff we'd stitch on pillowcases and put on our beds, you know. Uh, yeah. Not, not you guys? Okay, don't visit my house. Don't, uh, I'm going off, off notes here, but there's been a song that I've been trying to indoctrinate my children with, a song that I've been singing to them every morning, and it's just, Lord, I thank you for sunshine. I thank you for rain. I thank you for joy. I thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day. Hey, 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 hey. It's a beautiful day. Because if you can have a chorus like that at a young age, isn't that blessed? Now, in the same way, Jesus is saying, hey, thank me for sunshine and thank me for rain. Thank, you, thank me for joy and thank me for pain. That's what I want to teach. That's what I want to teach my kids. And he says, you're going to be blessed when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you and rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And the next breath, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And that's tough because he says, even though you're rejected, they need you. Even though you're not always going to be accepted, they need you. And listen to me very clearly. Even when you don't feel like it, they need you. Even when you feel persecuted, hated, mourning. Sure, all these bad and good things. They need you. This doesn't change who you are supposed to be, and that's the salt and the light. And, and I know that's a tough call, but, but, but what I explained was that what does salt mean, and this is quite important. Salt means that we are valuable to the world. We bring moral preservation, and we add flavor. And I also said it's important that we take stock of how we're doing. Every now and then, we must just pause, and we must ask, do I add value or am I one of the kind of people when I walk into the room, people go, <sighs> sorry, is that too close to home? People go, oh, Heinz here. Oh, come on. Run, 
run. <laughs> Hopefully he chats to the first guy and the rest of us can, can run out of there. Because that shouldn't be what rooms are like when we enter it. It shouldn't be, brothers and sisters. When we walk into a room, what should happen is we should add value. Man, we should preserve morality. And we should bring out the most beautiful flavors that God put in, peop in, in people. And that is such a gift. It goes on to say, be careful that you don't lose your taste. And the only way you can lose your saltiness is through contamination or dilution. So we must be careful what we contaminate ourselves with, that we stay pure, because that's how we stay salty. And then we become more salty by being different from the world, by mixing into the world, by staying salted by other believers, by growing in Christ, and by never underestimating what God can do through us. By never thinking we are too small to influence. That brings us to today, what does light mean? And that's a good question. That's what I'm going to try and answer today. And this focus on salt and light, you will notice, is all about focusing on what our relationship with the world should be like. Now, Jesus didn't come out of the gate and say, say there should be animosity between you. You should hate each other. He didn't come out of the gate and say, you know, eye for an eye. If they gossip about you, guess what? You gossip about them. If they're ugly with you, guess what? You're ugly with them. It is righteous. It is good. You return the favor. You know, no, not a chance. Not a chance. He says, hey, you should be different. And I spoke last week quickly about the two camps that, that people might fall in, into the camp of, of making a little Christian enclave and, and having our own little currency and everything and staying away from the world. No, 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 no. Salt cannot salt the stew if it's never in the stew. Salt in a salt pot is pretty useless for the food. But we mustn't go to the other extreme either where we lose our, our sense of holiness and righteousness because even in the scripture, Jesus says that they may glorify God. How? Through your good deeds. Our righteousness, our holiness should be evident. And I know one of the big questions that I ask is what's the difference between salt and light? And I'm going to tell you in just a moment, not quite yet though. I know currently in South Africa, we're very accustomed to darkness. <laughs> Praise Jesus. There's a lot of practical experience, you know. Just the other night, like literally on Thursday night after worship rehearsal, we were heading outside, so it was cloudy, so it was extra dark, and we stood outside, and, and after Piedri left and Manus left, uh, Rulani and I were still standing and chatting, but when they were gone, it was dark. As in, I could not see the lights, like, like the cars around me. I thought, and I don't know if you've ever experienced the kind of like relief that comes when a light is lit in darkness. Have you guys ever experienced that? Where you're sitting in darkness, all of a sudden someone comes with a little torch or something and it's just like, oh my goodness, how good does that feel? I can see, because light exposes, I can see, I can see where the dangers are, I can see where I'm supposed to be, I can see. And I believe as as being the light, as, as a call to be the light in the darkness in this world, we should have the same effect on the world. That when we're around, even though it will ex expose maybe what's wrong and what shouldn't be, that the ultimate feeling would be relief because now the light has come. And that's how we want to talk a little bit about light, obviously, today. And I want to start with a very important thing. What is the difference between salt and the light? And here I want to read just a short quote from John MacArthur because I think he sheds some light on it. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, 
Well, I enjoyed that when I wrote it. This is John MacArthur. He says, where a salt is hidden, light is obvious. Salt works secretly, while light works openly. Salt works from within and light from without. Salt is more the indirect influence of the gospel, while light is more the direct communication. Salt works primarily through our living, while light works primarily through what we teach and preach. Salt is largely negative. It can retard corruption, but it cannot change corruption into incorruption. Light is more positive. It only reveals what is wrong and false, and it helps produce what is righteous and true. And this is such an interesting thought when you look at these, these differences between salt. Because salt in a stew works undercover. But light sheds light. And I absolutely love that. And I think within this, in this uh, thought of salt and light, there are two distinct aspects of being an influence from within and from without. And I know we know that statement so well. It's been said in about three billion sermons, you know, wherever you go, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Can I just correct that for us? Words will be necessary because we need to be the salt and the light. We preach the gospel through holy living. Absolutely, I'm going to show you that part of being the light is living holiness and righteousness in the dark world, but it needs words. It needs exposure. It needs it. We as Christians are called to make a difference wherever we go by working undercover, but also very, very blatantly. And also, can I just add that this wasn't just for a select few. Hein is not preaching now to pastors and elders and whatever titles people might be grabbing these days. Not a chance. Hein is saying that all people who have been illuminated by the light of Christ has a responsibility to be the light of the world. Listen to what it says in John 8 verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the light, and because you have the light, you become the light. I absolutely love the moon. I think the moon is one of the most beautiful things in our observable universe. I really think it is. It's incredible to see how many times that poor ball of dust has been, been struck by, by meteors and whatnot. But the moon is just that. It's a ball of dust. But yet, when it's in the right place at the right time, and it catches the light perfectly, it is so bright that we don't even need lights to move around. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Sometimes the moon is so bright that, that it's like sunshine outside. You need to draw the shades just to be able to sleep at night. And I believe Christians in the same way, when we're positioned correctly, we can reflect the glory of the sun in ways that will illuminate everything around us. And we must always remember we are the light because He is the light. We are reflections of the glory of God. And when we accept Him, magical things happen, man. And He comes into our lives and He gives us hope and He gives us peace and He brings restoration in our lives and in relationships because that's what He does because He's a phenomenal God that wants to work out these unrighteous things in our lives so that we might portray righteousness and we become the light so that others may see it. The light indwells us and we become the light of the world. 
And in this metaphor of light, we need to also realize that there are, there are two extremes working here. And John MacArthur, again, his comments are quite enlightening. Anyway. <laughs> he says, in Scripture, the figurative use of light has two aspects. Listen to this. The intellectual and the moral. Intellectually, it, presented, it represents sorry, truth, whereas morally, it represents holiness. The figure of darkness has the same two aspects. Intellectually, it remains ignorance and falsehood, whereas morally, it connotes evil. And this is evidenced in Scripture. This is not just these ideas. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. We know the Scripture so well. And this is not a literal lamp or light. What he's saying is, you have an intellectual change here. And when you know the Word of God, you will know how to walk in it. Because that's part of what the light does. It brings a change intellectually. But the other part we cannot deny, Romans 13 verse 12 to 14 says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on what? The armor of light. Let us behave decently as in daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And here in Romans, he speaks of the very different kind of illumination by light. He speaks of righteous and holy living. He says clearly, hey, be careful, live as if it's in the light, as in daytime, don't not in carousing and drunkenness and immorality and debauchery. Don't go there. Don't do those things. Because part of being the light and having the light is it should change how we live. It should be evident in our lives. And this is so important because when we think about being the light, both these aspects need to be a part of what we do. There's both an intellectual and a physical aspect to this. There's a knowing and a doing. That is what it means to be the light. And I said last week as well, people shouldn't have to read your comments on Facebook to know you're a Christian. They should see it in your life. They should see it in your life. Some people are much better at being Christians online than what they are in being Christians in person. Because they post all the right pictures, all the scriptures. They forward them. No one forwards me messages anymore. <laughs> If you feel it's for me, forward it. But, um, and yet, when we look at the lives people live, it doesn't really represent the light of Christ. It doesn't really represent what we should see. It doesn't represent God in such a way that through our good deeds, is what Jesus himself said, they would glorify our Father in heaven. See, being the light is so vitally important because when we receive Christ, we become the city on a hill, whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not, people will judge not just you, but the entire church for your actions. And they will say, how can I follow your Jesus if this is how you act? And I know I say this a lot. I was hurt in church. No, you were offended by a person. And now you're rejecting Jesus. 
But I don't want to talk about the offended today. I want to say, hey, it is so important that we represent in Christ in such a way that the city on a hill will draw people, not push them away. Not push them away. We are supposed to draw people to Christ through our good deeds. And here we see this juxtaposition between, or this difference between light and darkness, because there really is a difference between light and darkness. And one of the key ways is because we accept God and the world rejects Him. This is why Jesus Himself said, hey, you need to be light in the darkness. The darkness is those who reject Jesus. Listen, Romans 1 verse 21 to 23 says, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking, and this is harsh, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, reptiles, finances, work, uh, cars, houses. I'm just mentioning more idols here in our lives. Saying, hey, they rejected God and because of it they were darkened. They were darkened. And however... The very opposite of that is true in Ephesians 5, verse 8 to 9. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. What Paul is saying here is when we meet Jesus, we turn from darkness and we become the light because of Christ in us. Then we no longer partake in the things of darkness, not a chance, but rather, he says, we expose it. We become the light so much that we expose it. In 1 John 3 verse 10, harsh one again, it says, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. And at the end of the day, what sets us apart here between darkness and light is knowing God and living righteousness. Because there is both a mental, a cognitive, a thinking difference, and an acting difference. There is both a knowing the word and a living the word. This is how we become the light. So what does it mean to be the light? We'll be done in about five minutes. Don't worry, I know you guys are, are getting ready for a cup of coffee. So am I. The first thing, what it means to be the light is light exposes darkness. Light exposes darkness. Just like Jesus came in and he exposed the wrongful teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He came and he, he said, hey, there's corruption in the temple. We are called to expose darkness. We are called to expose them. But now I want to just add here, don't go and turn over tables. When you expose the darkness, have a conversation first. I'm not at all saying tomorrow morning when we get into our, our workplaces, we go to our boss and we flip over his desk on him and we say, you are darkness. No. But we don't pretend it's not there. 
Light has to expose darkness. So we expose dishonesty and, and wrong practices. We expose gossiping and slandering and corruption and racism and theft and brutality. We expose all these things. Why? Because the darkness needs to be exposed. It does. The darkness needs to expand. Now, I acknowledge that this doesn't always make you popular. This is not the, the fast track to a, a, a promotion. But this is what we're called to be. This is what God called us to be. And listen, we don't want to win popularity context. We want to illuminate the path to Jesus. Because you might be popular with a better position, but those people that you were called to help see the light is on a path to darkness and you're just watching them stumble by. That's not living Christ, friends. The second thing, well, sorry, let me read a scripture there. Ephesians 5, verse 13 to 14 says, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. See, we should expose darkness and we should have these conversations when, when something is out of place. We should go to one another and say, hey, I might be wrong, but, but what I'm seeing here and how you may be dealing with your kids or, or with your, your husband or whatever, we should say, oh, I don't think that's righteous. What am I missing? We should be that for one another. We should be that for our families. We should be that for our friends and we should be that for our community. This is what we are called to. Often the light will shine through our moral living, and often it will need the words we need to speak. The second thing is light illuminates the path, and this is what, what I'm talking about in the first, as it exposes the darkness, it also shows the path. Light, light shows where we must go. And in 1 Peter 2.12 it says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving brothers. Live properly. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. So not just does, uh, does light expose darkness, but it says, hey guys, this is how we should live. This is how we lead people to Christ through our light living. And even Jesus even says that in Matthew 5, as I said. And the third thing, light brings growth. Now, I'm not big on horticulture, not that I don't like it, I'm just not good at it, all right? So I'm not here at all pretending I know how to garden, I don't. Um, I've got a couple of strawberries, which is awesome, um, and I've got an archie tree and an orange tree that everyone knows about, that's about yay high and growing strong, and that's about what I know. But, but what, I, what I did realize is light, plants need light. That's one of the key things they need to grow. Without light, they die. Even houseplants, plants like, like the little ficus I have on my desk, it needs light, not direct light, but it can't live without it. And in the same way, everyone needs light to grow. If even, even in caves where it's supposed to be dark, when they put up a light, look under it. Moss and plants and stuff starts growing because there's light. So light has the power to bring growth, sorry, even in total darkness. This is incredible, and this is the same influence we should have on those around us, whether it's our families or our friends or our communities. They should grow because we are shining the light. 
They should grow in their relationship with God. They should grow as, as people in character. They should grow as, as husbands and as wives and fathers and mothers and friends. Why? Because we are showing them how to. This is what the light does. It brings growth. And I want to help us out. And this, don't worry, this is where we're ending. Five quick things. Five, yes, quick things on how we can kindle the flame, how we can make sure that we stay the light. And number one is very obvious. Stay close to the source. I don't know if you've ever played with glow-in-the-dark things. I love glow-in-the-dark things. Amen. All the parents, all the fathers say amen. We buy our kids the toys we want to play with. Come on now. It's not just me, is it? It's just me. Now, now a while back, I bought... Uh, Bought Abby some of the stars, you know, the cliche stars, but it also has a moon with it, like a little moon, glow-in-the-dark moon. But we all know one secret to glow-in-the-dark things is if you want it to glow in darkness, you have to expose it to light. And if you want to glow in the darkness, make sure you stay exposed to the light. Because just like glow-in-the-dark toys or the moon against my daughter's wall, if it's not exposed to the light, it fades and dies. So step one about kindling that flame, make sure you stay close to the light. And I'm sorry to say, but the light is not your favorite Christian song or the verse of the day. The light is Jesus. You need to know Jesus. He is the only source of light that will shine forever. You need to know Jesus. The second thing is keep with the community. Amen. We need each other. I've, this is pretty much what I've been speaking about this entire year. If you, Brian, you have one coal, it ain't going to go so good. When you put two coals together, they burn longer and hotter. But when you have a whole bry full of coals, man, then you can put the steaks on or the vorsi or some chicken, whatever you have, whichever you're having. Because we are hotter and we live longer together. Christians who isolate themselves just don't. So in community, we give strength and light to our individual lives. All right, the third thing is don't hide it. The third thing about being the light, how to be the light, don't hide your light. This is obvious. You can't be the light if you're hiding it away. And I know sometimes we're worried about what think people might think or say or do when we expose the darkness, when we live the light. I get that, but I want to warn you here, when you put a thimble on a candle, it doesn't hide the light, it kills it. And this is what happens when we start hiding the light is we're killing it. Because soon we don't show the light anymore because we've come so used to hiding it that we are not the light anymore. Don't put a basket over your light. Don't do it. It doesn't hide it. It smothers it. It smothers it. So don't hide the light. The fourth thing is find the right stand. I've learned a lot during load shedding and how to have the most strategic places for your lamps in the house. I don't know if you have some places, if you're, if you're like me and you don't have a generator or solar or anything like me and you've got a couple of those nice lamps. They're brilliant. I'm not going to say the brand unless you sponsor it. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but what I've learned is if I want to illuminate the whole room, the best place to put that little lamp of ours is on the cupboard facing up to the ceiling. And when you do that, all of a sudden, the whole room is illuminated. And in the same way, we should place ourselves strategically to shine the most light. Light needs to be placed strategically. Jesus himself says, hey, put it on a stand so it provides light to everyone around you. 
So what are the strategic places that you need to be placing yourself? What are the, the relationships you should be engaging, engaging with? Where is God wanting to use you strategically for the most light to enter into the world? Light needs to be placed strategically. And the first thing is our light must point back to the source. See, when we do all of these things, we must remember Jesus said, Matthew 5, 13 to uh, just chapter, uh, verse 16, sorry. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that, because this is the ultimate purpose, so that they may see your good works and then give glory to your Father in heaven. So it's not about people coming to you and say, hey, you're such a good guy. And you say, y'all call me apostle or prophet or whatever the newest title you might want be because it's not for your glory it's not for your position it's for his and we shine the light not because of what it might do for or against us not a chance we shine the light so that people might see Jesus not so that it might build our lives or even at some points it will break it down I'm going to warn you I'm going to be real with us here but for the ultimate purpose of Christ it is worth it so that people might see Jesus and give glory to God the Father. This is what we're called to be, to be the salt and the light. So I've got a surprise for you. This is who you are. And over the last two weeks, I've been trying to equip you to be who you were created to be. You're not here and thinking, Yo, hein, I'll take the salt part, you know, the, the undercover part, but I don't want the light part. No, you are the light, friend. You are the salt. This is who God made you to be. This is who he wants you to be. Why? Because the world needs us. It needs us to make a difference. So I want to pray for you this morning that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be empowered to, to truly be the salt and the light on every occasion, wherever we might go. So that whoever comes into contact with us might see the glory of God that we might expose the darkness, that we might change the atmosphere, that we might shed light not just on what is wrong, but rather on how we should be living before Christ. So if you would close your eyes, Lord, we, uh, we acknowledge that this call is not an easy one. While this, simple, this teaching is simple and we've heard it all our lives, we acknowledge it is not easy. So we need you, Holy Spirit. We need you to come and give us the strength and the power. We need your spirit to indwell us so that we might be the salt and the light. Your promise in Acts is, Lord, that we will receive the Holy Spirit to equip us, to equip us for every good work. So, Lord, come and help us in our workplaces, in our families, in those difficult relationships. Come and help us make a difference in those areas that we know is wrong. Lord, I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us wisdom and a strategic plan for maximum influence. So that we might expose the darkness, the works of the enemy, and show people the light of Christ. Help us, Lord, to know you and to love you. Help us, Lord, to be the salt and the light. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.